Welcome to the, the Gospel of Peter. For all of you who've been in church before, you're going like, that is not in my Bible. And it turns out, yes it is. We just have misnamed it all these years. Uh, and uh, last week we kind of did a little orientation. You know, who wrote it? When was it written? Where were they at? This week we're going to go first chapter. We're going to do basically a chapter a week uh, from now through the end of the uh, semester. Luckily, there are we have 16 weeks left and there are 16 chapters in Mark. There's actually 15 chapters if you kind of ignore the last half of chapter 16, which may or may not have actually been written by Mark, but may have been added by someone soon after Mark wrote it. All right, someone asked me last, last week, what type of books do you read to set this up? Uh, this is kind of what I've read in the last year. You don't have to read all these books to understand Mark. This is my what I've read in the last like two and a half years. since. Uh, this is the third in a series of Jesus as uh, Middle Eastern Eyes. This one we taught two years ago. We did the book of Matthew last year. And then uh, this year the book of Mark. Uh, a lot of these uh, this is by far the best book in the run by Bailey uh, this is also Bailey uh, a lot of these just talk about uh, you're looking at uh, cultural influences of the teaching uh, like uh, Meet the Rabbis talks about rabbinical thought in the first century so when you realize what, when Jesus says stuff and when Paul and Peter say things in their writings, they're not just like grabbing stuff out of thin air. There's actually people who have said things similar to that uh, in the past. And also when the, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you'll see in the book of this book as we go through it, when they come up with, them, with questions, they're not inventing questions, again, out of thin air. They're taking what would be hot-button topics at the time and asking Jesus. Uh, it's kind of like uh, the CNN, Fox News, you know, Sunday morning, what, was it Meet the Press? A lot of these questions are kind of like the first century version of Meet the Press. Hey, since you're the big rabbi, we have this question, blank. Uh, and so you'll see that as we go through. And they, they especially love questions that are very divisive. You know, we're going to make Jesus take a stand on this, and we're going to cut away half of his followers. Because remember, a lot of this has to do with cultural, political, of the power structure in the Middle East. So that, that's basically, uh, some of these are pretty good. This is not bad. Uh, this is really good. Uh, this is pretty good. Uh, Meet the Rabbis is really deep. He really gets into, like, these minor rabbis of the early first century. Uh, that actually, by the way, just for fun, I think is his Ph.D. thesis. Uh, it reads like his Ph.D. thesis if it's not. If it's not, it should be. All right, a, re a reminder, structure of Mark. Mark is split into, we'll call three acts. It's really two big acts and a little transitional piece. Act 1, chapter 1 through 8, all occurs in, in Galilee with a, one little exception, which we'll get to today. And the question that Mark is asking is, who is Jesus? First eight chapters, who is Jesus? 
Act two, which is really a, a uh, inter interval, is while he's moving south from Galilee to Jerusalem, to Judea, uh, it's talking to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? So the first part is, who do the people say he is? This little interval is, who do you, my disciples, say I am? And then Act, Act 3, which is chapter 11 to 16, how does Jesus become the king? And remember, he's writing to the Romans, he's writing to the Christians in Rome, so they have a very different view than Christians in the, in the Middle East in the first century. They're, they're a mix of Jewish and non-Jewish Christians, so you have a lot of backgrounds uh, represented in uh, the area of Rome. And so this book is very different than a lot of the other, the other three Gospels. This book has very, very, very little verbal theology in it. It has a lot of theology of action. This book is about Jesus doing stuff. And uh, that, that's also why it's second in your Bible. It's the first, it's the first Gospel written, uh, but when they put the Bible, the New Testament together in about the 300s, they liked Matthew better because Matthew had lots of theology. And so they actually put Matthew first, even though Mark was written first. All right, let's talk a little bit about Greek, Eastern versus Greek writing styles. Because as you go through Mark, uh, things bother us. You know, if you look at the four Gospels, things don't always occur in exactly the same order. That really, really bothers us because we're, we're basically Greek. To us, the word accurate and exact are the same word. They're synonyms. To someone from an Eastern writing style, they are not. For instance, if I ask someone to count to ten, Andy, count to ten. One, two, three, four, five, seven, nine, ten. All right, that's a very Greek answer. That is very accurate. It's very exact. If you ask someone from, say, Jerusalem to count to ten, they go one, two, ten. Now, is that counted to ten? Yeah, uh, yeah. So you're bothered by it, though. They're not exactly counting to ten. That they're, but in the Eastern style, yeah, I started at one, I ended at ten. I didn't, I didn't go to thirty and come back. So I was in fact accurate. That is not exact. Uh, and so in the when you look at the Gospels and their timing, it's because they are in fact Eastern. So, by and large, the stories are the same. It just sometimes they move things to make a point. Because each book is written to a different audience. It's written with a different theme. And so, they skip stuff that, you know, because we think these are, bi these are biographies. They're not biographies. They are a specific letter written to a specific person or group of people for reasons. They are not an exact... When we think bi biographies, we, as Westerners, go, it's got to be exact, right? We're going to... I want to know everything about him. That's not what the, the gospel writers are doing. They're talking about a specific uh, target of Jesus and telling his story in a very specific way. Matthew is very much written to the Jews. It is very, very Jewish. Luke is very much written to the Greeks and doesn't do a lot of Jewish theology. Mark is written to, this, to the Romans who are very action-oriented, who are mixed Jewish-Gentile Christians. 
And so he tells the stories that he wants to tell in order to get his point across, which is Jesus is the king. Uh, black, white versus gray. Greeks are very black, white. So we're very black, white in the way we do things. Eastern style is very, very gray. So they talk about stuff a little different than you and I do. So when we do some of the stories, it may bother us a little bit uh, on how they tell the story. And some of the details they tell and some of the details they don't tell. Uh, and then chronological versus topical, a lot of the, the, the Gospels are all re, re, arranged topically, which is not necessarily chronological. Because sometimes Jesus does stuff out of, or, in, out of order according to the story, but they'll move him to get the topicalness in order. Uh, and then uh, logical progression, you know, we all, when, when they told you to write, right, you had an introduction, you had three points in the middle, you had a conclusion, right? Isn't that how you taught to write English? That's very Greek. Eastern style is, the, uh, is point, point, conclusion, point, point. So when we get to a lot of the stories of Jesus and a lot of the parables, the most important thing is in the middle, not at the end. And so if you read them as a Greek, you miss the point of the parable. And so we'll talk, we'll point those out as we get to them. All right, any questions or thoughts about any of that? Let's look at Mark 1. In the beginning of the good news was Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, which is actually not Isaiah, it's actually Malachi. Uh, a voice of one caught in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, make the path straight for him, Isaiah. People get bothered by this because this is Malachi. He says, oh, it's Isaiah. Again, this is an Eastern way of, of writing. The most important person who's Isaiah is the one he references. But they're telling the same story. I'm going to send a messenger. You'll notice in Mark, there's no baby Jesus story. Right? He, you know, we're not talking about Joseph and Mary and how Jesus was born and how he went to Egypt and here. None of that's in there. Mark jumps straight into the story. And he tells you everything he's going to tell you in this book in the first line. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. I mean, he just flat out starts, he leads with, this is what this book's about. The good news about Jesus. And then prepare, and so he goes back to the Old Testament. Here is what the Old Testament says is going to happen with Jesus. And then he jumps straight into John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Uh, so you know, if you read Mark, you don't know, you know John was born, and he just he appears one day. Uh, preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt and ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, locusts and wild honey are uh, kosher. So he is following kosher Jewish diet. And this is his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with, which actually means in water, 
but he will baptize you with slash in the Holy Spirit. To the Jews at this time, the, the, the majority theology was that Isaiah or one of the other major prophets was going to come back and prepare the way for the Lord. Remember what they're looking for. They're not... We have the advantage of looking back 2,000 years. In their mind, what the Lord was going to do was uh, create a new Jewish kingdom. He was not doing what Jesus is going to end up doing. He is going to be king. He is going to be the ruler of the world. And if you're a good Jewish person, you get to be number two. They know they're not going to be number one because that's going to be the Messiah. But they are going to be number two, which means right now, you know, last week we talked about the fact the Jews were low down on the totem pole. Right, Everybody was richer than the Jews and more powerful. And so they very much are thinking when, when the Messiah comes, we're going to be at least not, maybe 1A, you know, maybe not number two, but we're not going to be number you know, bottom anymore. And so... Uh, the words he uses up here, just to give you a little background. Uh, name of Jesus. We call him Jesus. If you're Latin, it'd also be Jesus. If you're Greek, it'd be Jesus, which would be Yeshua, which is Hebrew, meaning deliverance. So Jesus' name is deliverance. Uh, he, that's the same name. Yeshua is the same name as Old Testament book of Joshua. Same name. So his his Hebrew Aramaic mother would have called him Yeshua in Hebrew, which is deliverance. His title, you, you'll see these all over the place. He's called the Messiah, which is Mashiach Hebrew, which means the anointed one. As you walk that through all the translations to get to English, Christos is the Greek word for anointed one, which becomes Christus in Latin, which becomes Christ in English. So what Mark is saying is that Jesus is the deliverance. He's the anointed one. So he's saying from the very get-go, he's the guy you're looking for. He's the guy that we've been all talking about for hundreds of years. And a little recap from last week. Four, we'll call them political parties because that's functionally what they are, in the Middle East where Jesus is talking. You have the Sadducees who are the priests, very, very wealthy. These guys cooperate with whoever's in power. Because their entire theology revolves around the temple. The temple is the center of everything. That's the Sadducee theology. Pharisees. The, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees do not like each other. At all. Uh, Pharisees are non-priests who are very, very intelligent that are essentially the theologians of their time. Uh, to give you how bad Sadducees and Pharisees do not like each other, the Pharisees, uh, a good Pharisee would have somewhere on his person the number 800. Because during the Maccabean period, when the Maccabees were in charge, the Sadducees were, the Maccabees were Sadducees, they were priests. Uh, they killed 
800 Pharisees for heresy. And so that was 250 years prior to the time we're at now. The Pharisees still remember that. So to them, that number is very, very, they, so they do not like the Sadducees at all. So when you see in the book the Pharisees and the Sadducees working together, that think, uh, I don't even know in America what, uh, Auburn, Alabama working together, right? Uh, Tennessee, Alabama work, fans working together. I mean, they are diametrically opposed to each other. And so when you see them working together, you know something's up. Uh, the Essenes uh, are people that withdraw. They actually were fair. They started out as the same party and they separated themselves out. They are with. They withdraw from community. They create their own communities out in the wilderness. And they they the interesting part about them is they do a lot of immersion baptism. Although it's not a single immersion. You have a series of baptisms that you go through with the, the Essenes. And then you have the Zealots, who are basically, the Essenes think that Jesus is going to come back, and so by withdrawing and making themselves as pure as they can, they'll be ready when the Messiah comes, in their little outpost in the wilderness. The Zealots want Jesus to come back and create an earthly kingdom. They feel that he's going to reestablish the Maccabean kingdoms. So those are the four groups that are moving throughout this entire story of Mark. Depending on where he's at depends on kind of which group he's interacting with. All right, and so at that time, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Nazareth is a city of about 300 people. Uh, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Uh, so... He's down in the Jordan baptizing. Jesus comes down from Galilee. Uh, Nazareth is in Galilee. Uh, and that's he's, Mark has to tell people that because, remember, the Romans, they don't know the uh, geography of, the, of Israel, nor do they care much. But he's saying Galilee's up north, Judea's in the south. So Jesus comes, just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw the heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love, with whom, with you I am well pleased. Remember, he's talking to the he's talking to people who are Romans who are inside the whole Roman mythology. Remember this in like seventh eighth grade when you you took these all these courses about Zeus and Jupiter and who was related to who. They're very much attuned to that because the temples are all over Rome for that. So, what you see here is a coronation ceremony for a king. Jesus comes, he's coming up the water, the heavens get torn over, the spirit comes down, and the voice of God says this. Basically, you are my son. Remember, who's the emperor? He is a god. He is the son of Jupiter. Because emperors rule by divine right. You worship the emperor. There are temples to the emperor. And so what Mark is saying from the very get-go of his book is Jesus is a God. Jesus is crowned by God as the king. Remember the whole theme of the book is Jesus is the king. So he, you know, we're in verse 9. He basically tells you that. 
to the Romans, they would see this immediately. This is a coronation ceremony for Romans from the God. And then at once, the Spirit sent him out to the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted slash tested by Satan. He was with wild animals and the angels attended him. Uh, give you a little idea. This is, once again, we're in the geography. Since we don't live there, we miss some of the, ge the geographic clues of what he's saying. Uh, this area belongs to Herod. John the Baptist is over in here. This is wilderness. Once you cross the Jordan, this is wilderness. It's, it's not... This part is where you grow stuff. This is very desert. So he's across the Jordan. This is also where all the Essenes plant their cities. Uh, they're all over in here. And uh, so Jesus is basically up here. He comes down to see John gets baptized, he goes out in the wilderness 40 days. 40 in the Bible is a very common number of uh, testing. You know, how many years did they wander in the wilderness of the Jews? 40 years. Uh, I mean, it's just, a, it comes up over and over and over again as a period of testing. 40. So Jesus goes out as testing. And Mark throws a little uh, in here, and he was with the wild animals. You'll see uh, in uh, medieval art, you'll see pictures of Jesus at, at the testing at, during this trial, and you'll see the animals sitting with him, comforting him. That's not what Mark is saying. G he is saying, remember, you're talking to Romans. Romans are used to the Colosseum, where people were thrown in with wild animals. Were they there to pet them? No, they were not. So Mark is saying that the wild this was a wild place. This was a dangerous place. That Jesus went out into this dangerous place and the angels came down to him. Again, Roman mythology, you know, the angels are coming down again to show you that he has power from God, that he is a God. Because that is that, again, is Mark's theme. He keeps coming back to this for the, so the Romans would, the people who are steeped in Roman mythology would see this. And so that's kind of, so that's kind of where he's at. And then uh, after John was put in prison, Mark, I say Mark skips, you look at Matthew, you know, this is like the eighth chapter of Matthew, by the time, you know, here. All of a sudden we're in it, Mark, boom, John's in prison. Uh, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. John is put in prison here. This is where uh, Herod Antipas put all his political prisoners. Because it's out in the wilderness. It's a fort. Herod the Great was paranoid to the nth degree. He built forts all over the Middle East, where he was never more than a day's ride from a fortified city. So that if there was rebellion, he could get to it. Mm -hmm. This is one of the ones he built. It's so far out in the wilderness, because you know Jerusalem's up here, Jericho's up here, this is the Dead Sea, that it's really hard to get to. So political, he wanted to put his political prisoners as far away as possible. If you read the other Gospels, you realize that John the Baptist is very, very, very popular. And he is concerned that 
if he arrests him, he's going to cause a riot. And part of the background is his brother, Archelaus, had this area. Ten years before the time period we're talking now, Archelaus had too many rebellions and was removed from power. And Pontius Pilate was, was put as a governor over there. So Herod Antipas knows deeply that I can't let, the, I, you know, if there's a rebellion, I'm going to get pulled out of power. So that's why he finds a period of time where he can get John, removes John, puts him as far away as possible so that the people can't get to him and can't rebel. And then Jesus, after the 40 days, according to Mark, goes up to Galilee and begins his teaching. And it, this is, for the most part, uh, Herod actually lives in Tiberias. Uh, people have been to the, uh, if you've been to the sea, this is the Dead Sea. It's called that because it's salty, it's dead, there's nothing in it. This is the Sea of Galilee, which is much nicer. Tiberius lives up here. Uh, and so Jesus actually goes back to where, to where uh, sorry, Herod Antipas is and begins his teaching. Uh, I have a question. Yes. Now, is Herod Antipas, Herod the Great, are they the same? Son. Son, son of him. Herod, when Herod the Great dies, he divides his kingdom up into four parts. Uh, one of the fourth goes away really quickly, and so you have three sons left. Archelaus, Philip, and Antipas. And those are the sons who survived because he was known to kill his sons if he Oh yeah, but these are the ones that survived him. He was he was not a he was not a fun filled Christmas kind of guy. Uh, yeah, your birthday party may not be a really excitement. It may be your last birthday party. If you want to watch Game of Thrones, you know he didn't want to be a king. He wanted to be the king. Yeah, and uh, he he was unstable. He was the most charismatic person you ever met. He was unstable, he was paranoid, he was a phenomenal builder, he was politically adept to the nth degree. Just remember, Herod, just side story, Herod the Great actually rebelled against uh, uh, the current emperor. He actually uh, backed Cleopatra and Mark Anthony in the, in the Civil War, and then talked his way, after the Civil War goes bad and Mark Anthony and Cleopatra are dead, he goes to the emperor and says, I was such a great friend to them, I'll be as good a friend to you. And was so charismatic that he makes him king of this whole area. you got, you got to love a guy like that. He, know, he knows his stuff. But this uh, wasn't exactly like a prize Oh, no, this position. No, oh, no. The, 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 this part of the Middle East was... This is like we're going to send you to Bergen, New Jersey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say in Nashville, this is kind of like... Uh, don't, don't say that. You offend Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we get what you We'll said. send you to Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah. oh, no, Ole Miss. Yeah, Ole Miss. There you go. Yeah. Starkville, probably. Yeah, but this is more like, like Starkville. This is not an area that anyone wanted to be the, uh, in charge of, except for the fact that Herod was born here, uh, and so, you know, you always want to be in charge of your hometown. But so, I mean, yes. He built all that stuff. I mean, it had to have been, so it was not the best, but it was pretty darn good, right? I mean, he had enough money and stuff to build. Well, I mean, you got to remember, uh, the guys who are in charge have lots and lots and lots of money, and they have lots and lots and lots of slaves. You know, if you got lots of slaves, it's really easy to build stuff. You just have to feed them. And he may have been Starkville, but it's better than 30 miles outside of Starkville. Right, yes. yeah. 
Right, well. exactly. It's, it's he was the, trying to make it pretty. Okay. You know, he, he still can. He was trying to make it attractive to other people to be there. Right. Because it's a political football. That right. little strip of land right there was a trade route. Right. And everybody in the Middle East fought over it for years. Right. And, that, and he understands, you don't want this area. What you really want is Syria, just north uh -huh. of here. And so, but you have to have a base. Once again, Herod, Herod wanted to be emperor. I mean, when you, when you read the backstories of all these guys, they all want to be emperor of Rome. Right. And they, and you can you can you can claw your way up, uh, and so they all have, you know all the emperors started somewhere, and so they're all empire building. So Jesus, John the Baptist gets imprisoned here. Jesus starts preaching up here. Like I said, Mark is very very high speed. He is he just blew through eight or nine chapters in the other gospels right there. All right, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. This is kind of a little, when you look in the gospel, kind of how he roams. Uh, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew cast in that into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said. I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Uh, then he got a little further. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. If you've been in church, you've all heard this, that Jesus' call is so great that people have no idea about him, leave their job, and follow. Well, Mark leaves out some backstory. Because he's just, Mark is just telling you the story. The, the cliff notes of the story. Like I said, this is the shortest book. How do the disciples know Jesus? I mean, Jesus obviously went by a lot of people on the way up to Galilee. Why do you pick these guys? Well, if you go to John, you realize that there are two disciples were disciples of John. So two of these guys were down in with John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. They're there when Jesus comes to be baptized. And they hear Jesus' teaching. And they heard him and they followed Jesus. And he says, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? He says, come and you will see. And so they went to Oreo staying. They spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. And so Andrew, one of the first two guys he picks, was one of these guys who heard what John said to follow Jesus. The first thing Jesus, Andrew did was went to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, which is the anointed one, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, si you, you are Simon, son of John. You were called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. Because John, when he writes his book, never says John is doing anything, the other person here is John. So it's Andrew and John are down with John the Baptist. They see Jesus there, basically are introduced to him and say, I want to follow you, and he sends them home to Galilee. Jesus goes out for 40 days, he comes back, uh, and then that's when he sees them fishing. So they've already met him. They already know him. They're already early disciples. And so he is now ready to establish his, start his teaching time as a rabbi. And so that's why he's calling him. So it's not, you've all, I know I've all heard 6,000 sermons about it's the magic. You know, he walks up, touches him, oh, they're coming with me. They already know him. Uh, and then uh, James and John, they actually, uh, an interesting part, this is uh, from Bailey. Who is at the cross? Matthew, Mark, and John. 
talk about the women that are at the cross. Uh, and I've color-coded this so you can kind of see who they are. You have Mary Magdalene. All three of them talk about Mary. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, who is probably named Mary, the wife of Clopas. And then the mother of Zebedee, who is Salome, who is very like, is possibly Mary, the mother of Jesus's Now, remember, culturally in the Middle East, sister does not necessarily mean sister. It means female relative. I mean, in, in the African cultures, everyone's your aunt and uncle or your cousin. If they're older than you, you're your aunt and uncle. Jane and I are aunt and uncle to a Burundi family that we know in America. We are clearly not related to them. Well, that uh, solves my problem because I can't yes. figure out who's what in my family. So yeah, there you go. Just follow that pattern. There you go. So, you kind of, so the rule is if they're older than you, they're aunt and uncle, you're about the same age, your cousin. Right? And if you're younger, if you're younger, they're niece and nephew. Same cultural thing occurs here. So it is possible that James and John are related to Jesus in some way, that their mothers are related. So they may have actually known him growing up. Uh, Nazareth is not that far from the Sea of Galilee. So they may have known them. You know, and remember, John the Baptist is a second cousin, third cousin. Once again, you get into that whole cousin thing. Some cousin of Jesus's. So they know of each other. So they probably know of each other or know each other. So it's not quite as out of the ordinary as you think that he just walk up and grab two random fishermen off the sea. He may have known them. Yes? What's interesting then is that they're cousins, right? Uh, air quotes. Um, cousins follow him, and we can say uh, somewhat immediately, pretty quickly. Um, but his brothers and sisters were the scoffers for a while. Oh, a long, a long time. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it is very interesting that yeah, his brothers and sisters don't. It's year. That we'll see it in here that there are times that they come and say, "Your brother's getting kind of crazy. Why don't you guys come and get him and bring him home?" But yeah, his other relatives who know him are going, yes, you're the, you're a messiah. You know, it's not till the end that they figure he's the messiah. One of the things along that, though, is like James, who writes James later on, the epistle of James, the church history tells us that's James's, Jesus' brother, right? right. That, that's always comforting to me in that, you know, he started off as this, James probably was in that crowd who came to him and says, hey, you know, my brother's crazy. He thinks he's the messiah. And then later on, he becomes a leader of the church so, uh, and, and writes the epistle of James. And so, like, right. that's always comforting to me to, to say, uh, look at someone who is really close to Jesus who affirmed his, his divinity and his, his resurrection. Right. The, the guy who grew up with him, that knew him when he was a, what, five-year-old? Yeah. Or six-year-old? To his own peril. To his own peril. A teenager. We don't, we, you know, can you imagine your, your older sibling who was a teenager? You know all those stories? <clears throat> So, yeah, and so, yeah, John and Jude all become early church fathers. So, I mean, that's just a little uh, piece that sometimes we miss because of some of the verbiage and, and going the multi-languages, that there's a very uh, good possibility, like I said, that James and John are, in fact, related to him. Now, you mentioned that Nazareth was 300 people. About 300-ish. I mean, and I knew it was small. I didn't realize it was that small. I mean, it, so it that's, that's basically small. that class of this class. Yeah, <laughs> right, 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 yeah. 
um, you know, half of half of her service. Yes. Um, and so, and where is he when he's calling these people? Oh, he's, he's at uh, Capernaum. Okay, how big's Capernaum? About 1,500. Okay, so about the size of Otter Creek. Right. There's a pretty, I mean, towns that small, you kind of know everybody, at least by reputation. We're and, not, and more importantly, Galilee is not 100% Jewish. Right. So all, you would know all the Jewish guys. Because you think about it, if you're in a town of 300, where do you find your wife? You're not marrying, right, because you're related to everyone in town. So they go to the other Jewish towns, and that's where you end up meeting people and getting married. So they know, because, you know, Galilee is a mixed Gentile Jewish area. And so they, they're going to know a lot of the guys in the, who are, are Jewish, who are, 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 are true believer Jewish, not Samaritan. But, you know, true diving world Jews, they're going to know each other, at least by reputation, if nothing else. Yeah. So, but, but, the, but the big city mass media dynamics that we're used to for how you learn about people, yep. those aren't in play here. This is everybody that's right. famous in a small town. Right. So you're talking a 300-person town, a 1,500-person town. I mean, Jerusalem is only six, probably 60,000, except yeah. at yeah. So, so Jerusalem's yeah. cooked for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's cookable in a area that's probably a mile wide at ma mile by mile at max. It's a really densely populated. It's sitting on top of a hill. Yeah. So, but it's like six thousand people draw on top of each other. So you're going to know everyone's business. And when you think about Nazareth, that piece right there, yeah, kind of makes sense why people don't believe him because you got taught the same thing he got taught, and then he's telling them everything yeah, right. something different. So now they're going to ostracize you because they know. He's out of his mind. I don't know where he learned it from. He didn't learn it at the synagogue. I learned it. Right, right. We, we were in the same place. That's right. We, yeah. Were, yeah. we yeah. were in the yeah. same yeah. Bible class. That's correct. Exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. The, the, the dynamic is completely different from what right. most of us living here live. Right. right. Yeah, and yeah, Jesus is not the PhD who, you know, I've got my, sorry, the D-mans. Uh, I got my D-man from ACU, and I got an MDiv from Lipscomb, and I can teach you. No, I mean, he went to, he went to uh, synagogue school with you. All you guys are working together. You all went to school together because you all, you know, there's not that many kids. Doctor and go back home and still say the same thing. Right. All right. So they went to Capernaum. The Sabbath came. He went to the synagogue. Began to teach. Again, they know who he is. He's a Jew. He's from a nearby city, and they were amazed at his teaching because he taught them with authority. Exactly. We know which synagogue school he went to. He teaches with authority, not as the teachers of the law. Then a man in the synagogue was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, Who do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Who have you come to destroy? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So who's the first person in the book that says that he's Jesus, the, the Messiah, demon. the devil? Mm -hmm. I always wondered why he did that. And it just struck me that if you get in front of, we were you know, talking about all these dynamics, you get in front of this with something like that, that's the best way to discredit him right there. As far as what? As far as? Well, I mean, crazy guy with a demon comes in and says, knows. oh my goodness, you're the son of God. You're, you're, I mean, crazy guy right. starts saying you're God. What's God going to do? God's going to tell him to be quiet. He's going to get rid of this because if the crazy people start talking early on, <laughs> Ministry's right. toast. Yeah. Right. And and he and you say and Jesus says, Be quiet. Come out of him. 
And he shook, the, man, the emperor's spirit shook the man violently and came out of this shriek. And they were all amazed. Because remember, there's only going to be like one real synagogue in a 1,500 person city that's not all Jewish. Right. There's probably one synagogue. So everybody is there that's in the Jewish world. And they go, wow, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. And he gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. Mark's telling a story to the Romans. And so he's saying, this guy who I just said is crowned by God as king is now sending spirits out. He's got power over the spirits. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Uh, as soon as they left the synagogue, remember it's Sabbath, they went to the home of James, went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with the fever. They told Jesus about her. So he went to her, by the way, you don't do this on Sabbath. If you're a good Jew, you do not do this on Sabbath. At all. Right. Eight, what two, what two reasons? One, it's Sabbath. You've got to keep yourself pure. Mm -hmm. So you do not go to sick people on Sabbath. Two, you don't walk into the room of a strange woman you're not related to. Right. And three, if she wants help, she comes to you. She's a woman, you're a man, you're a rabbi, she is not. So she would come out. I mean, we'll see other parts of this story. The women come to him. So Jesus is doing three things here that are very anti-rabbi. And he walks in, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on him. Well, now, that's also against the Sabbath, isn't it? What? Or was it okay for women to work on the Sabbath? Because she's waiting on them. I mean, to Jews today won't even what? turn their oven on, right? That's correct. So, but I mean, you just got healed. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, I know. But yeah. I'm like, but it's a very yes. This is, but you know, but 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 to the to the hardcore Jewish guys, at least they're back into the original uh, priority. She got up and waited on him. Yeah, he healed her. But yeah, she, she's cooking supper. Uh, that evening after sunset, I remember Jewish is sunset to sunset, so it's now Sunday morning to the Jews. It's no longer Sabbath. The people brought all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Matter of fact, it's about 1,500 people. They're all gathered outside the house. And they're bringing everyone who's sick. Yes? So if we just look at this one slide, this one snippet, you know, and however many verses this is, because I can't see all the numbers, 12, 13 yeah. verses, this is destructive to the status quo. Everything that's in yeah. here is completely destructive oh, to yes. the status quo. And you, you in the, right in this one story, you see why he gets in trouble with the Jewish powers that be. Uh, he gets in trouble with the Romans because the entire city is there. He's causing people to go against what they were taught. Because if you think about it, somebody left that house. Somebody left that house and told everybody, "Hey, that woman was sick as a dog. Now she's up and cooking and doing everything." Yep. Y'all got to come see this. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody yeah. Might translate verse 32 is the minute Sabbath was, was over. It, everybody was there, correct. This <laughs> is no cell phone, no internet. They all knew within, I mean, literally, as soon as the sun goes down, uh, they are at the door. And this is night. People don't come out at night in, in this culture. There's no lights. No, it's but he is such a. The, this story here of healing the spirit and then healing this is so powerful. That everyone comes out at night to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon and Andrew are also probably one of the more wealthy people in town. Their dad was the fisherman. Fishermen tended to do well, and they had hired men, which tells you that they're probably fairly wealthy. So they probably had a fairly big house. 
but 1,500 people big. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of people are showing up here, and they're all bringing their sick. Yeah. And then, right, and the whole town gathered at the door. He healed many of the diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Right, because exactly, back to your point. You don't want, you don't want everyone else going, oh, the crazy people know who he is, because the crazy, you know, what do we just say? Crazy people know crazy? Uh, and so the, he, he has a very distinct plan that he's doing. So he's just telling the demons, no, you can't speak about me. And very early in the morning, so we're now Sunday morning, when it was dark, he got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. Now the sun is up. And they said, everybody is looking for you. I mean, he healed him last night. And he said, let's go to somewhere else, to nearby villages, so I can preach there. That is why I've come. See, people wanted him to heal. And he's going, I have a job. I'm here to preach the gospel, that the kingdom of God is at hand. It just as he goes, he's so filled with compassion that he's, he's healing people. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons. And then a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant, which is actually, this is one of those difficult Greek words. We don't know whether he's mad at the man, he's mad at the disease, he's filled with compassion. It's one of those words that can mean all three. Uh, and once again, that's not, he's about to be the anti-rabbi. Reached out his hand and touched the man. Rab, lepers had to wear, have a bell. They had to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. You'd pass to the other side of the street. They could not come into cities. Uh, There's a whole host of rules they couldn't do. So A, the guy comes up to Jesus, which he's not supposed to do. Jesus didn't immediately send him away. He, in fact, touches him. He says, be clean. And the leprosy left him is cleansed. And now he tells him, because once Jesus does not want to be the circus, of, I'm the healing circus. He wants to be, I want to teach you about the kingdom of God. People want to be healed. So he tells him to do what you're supposed to do, which is, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to a priest. By the way, that means you have to go to Jerusalem, all the way back down south. You can't, so he's like, send him out of the area, go to Jerusalem. Offer the sacrifices as a testimony. Instead, the guy goes out and tells everybody. Which is, I mean, I have to admit, that's what I would probably do. Right? I've got, I've got this disease that caused me to be totally excluded from society. Jesus touches me. I'm healed. What are you going to do? I mean, you're going to go, I'm going to tell everybody. See, every time Jesus heals people, they do this. They go tell people. We get to when he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He tells the person uh, that, and they immediately, he said, don't tell anyone who I am. Next thing you know, there's like 40 churches over there. And then when Jesus comes back the second time, there are believers everywhere. That's what this guy does. He just, <coughs> as a result, he could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside the lonely places, yet the people came to him from everywhere. So, first chapter of Mark, Mark is establishing the start of Jesus' ministry. He is now insanely popular in a very short amount of time in Galilee. But he's, he's popular because he's healing people. 
But which Mark is showing you because it shows him he has the power of God. Because Old Testament, only God can heal people. And so he is saying, you know, this is the crown of God. He has the power over spirits. He's had the power over disease. He has the power over leprosy. And so, like I said, he's telling him, he's telling stories about Jesus. But you see that the people want him to heal. He wants to teach. And so now he's so popular, he cannot go into cities. So you know that's going to set up a conflict with the powers that be, Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Romans. All right. Next week, oh, uh, room at the end could use some plastic hangers like this. Uh, we volunteered our class. They don't want like 6,000. So they said if one class worth, you just bought, you know, everyone bought like 10 hangers. Just bring them and put them in the room at the end. Box uh, downstairs. Box downstairs. Because they're setting the uh, room up for, they're setting the closet up for room at the end this year. Where's the box? By the north door, there's some tubs there, but if, just anywhere near there. Right. Just put my grill at the end. Season so starts. Close. We hang like jeans and coats and sweaters, and the wire hangers collapse. Yeah. So we started working in there. So I yep. volunteered our class. <laughs> so, of, very good. Class. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Andy's up next week. All right. Part two. Thank you. Thank you. See you next week. Thanks, Jeff.